It is Wednesday or potentially Thursday because I am very busy and moving and yeah, pregame podcast. Okay. All right. I mean, uh, it's nice to give our listeners a heads up while they're listening that we're going to be a day late. Well, I'm trying to explain myself. If it does tend, if it does happen to come out Thursday this week, that's the explanation why I, (laughs) I'm in the middle of moving, which is obviously very hard on a weekly production schedule. So yeah. I mean, by the yeah. time you're by the time you're hearing this, I'm going to be set up. So, but you know, for the for the Barely. moment, it's it's a little well skeleton room. It's a skeleton room with right a PC now, and a microphone at the moment, probably. Right, right, right now, it's a little bit of a skeleton room. Yes, like I got to put the I got to put the decor up. I got to put up, you know, the the framed posters. I got to put up the artwork. I was asking right. you for home decor ideas. I that's my wife's territory she's done all of said decor in our home okay well after because i know we're meeting up later this week i'll have to just talk to your wife then about home decor ideas honestly you need a theme home decor requires a theme what do you want the room to represent well do you want plants do you want (laughs) a barn kind of old farmhouse vibe i i will say this due to the like construction of the room it's got a lot of natural light big plus all right i know that i do have a lot of posters and artwork and like framed posters and stuff to put up um, yeah between you know short films from college and stuff like that so there's a lot of like film related stuff and there's a lot of concert related stuff so i i don't (laughs) so you're going for like you're over like the teenage punk vibe I mean, that just happens to be my decor because I'm not too far <laughs> off from being that teenage punk. Jeez. Oh, what do you want from me? I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to say either. Before we fall even further down this rabbit hole, how about we get to some winners and losers? How does that sound? That sounds fantastic. And now time for winners and losers of the week. Kalen, who is your winner this week? Oh, right. So my winner this week is uh, Jalen Brown. He did is what many... Other stars did uh, this weekend between athletes and celebrities and musicians and uh, decided to join the Black Lives Matter protests this weekend. Uh, he was running around with a megaphone, uh, chanting, etc. So he went back to his hometown to do so, of course, which is Atlanta, Georgia, and just, you know, was out there spreading the word, making a point. So he's my winner this week. Uh, and Obviously, he's not the only athlete to do so. I already said that, but he's my pick because, you know, he's a Boston Celtic and I'm all for those guys going out and making uh, making an image out of themselves and, you know, representing themselves in a good uh, manner for, you know, younger generations to follow, not just on the court, but off the court as well. Yeah, of course, you know, the I, I don't want to get into too much about the whole Black Lives Matter thing because, you know, we're trying not to be too political on the show, even though politics does come up occasionally. But anytime that an athlete gets to use their platform to speak out for something they believe in, I, I think that's a positive thing, especially when the thing they're speaking out for, it's not like an endorsement or an advertisement. It's something that is, you know, beyond that. It's something that they believe in. So, they're you know, they're getting the chance to promote, you know, something that they think is right. So... You know, you can't yeah. can't shy away from that, of course. So I good choice, good winner. Oh well thanks, Dan. Uh speaking of good winners, I hope you have a good winner, because you're up now. Well, 
my winner was what I thought your winner was going to be, if I'm being honest. Oh, which, really? Yeah, which was going to be F1. Yes. Because we have yes. a prospective F1 racing schedule on the table. It is obviously shorter than we were hoping. It's obviously starting later than we were hoping. But F1 could have at least a partial 2020 season this year. Yep. I think when I was reading it earlier today, they have eight prospected uh, races currently on their calendar. And then I think they're talking about going to 12 next. So we'll see what the end total ends up being, but it should be relatively close to a full season, probably about like three quarters of one at least. Yeah. And there are some repeat races they're looking at. Austria, they're looking at going to a couple of times. Great Britain, they're looking to go to a couple of times or at least do multiple rounds all at once. Looking at kind of the perspective schedule, it looks like they're going to be in Great Britain back-to-back weekends going from late July into August, and they're going to start the season with back-to-back rounds in Austria at the... Uh, uh, no, Nuremberg is the name of the uh, German track. What's the Austrian track name? Do you know, Kalen, off the top of your head? Ooh, it's a real odd one. Yeah, I, I, I mean, <laughs> I was like, well, the only one I can think of is the Nuremberg ring, which is in... Nuremberg, which is Germany, not Austria. Right. So, yeah, it's not Austria. Yeah. Um, but regardless, you know, happy to have uh, at least somewhat of a 2020 calendar outlook for F1. I'm excited for it. But yeah, we'll see how that changes. We'll probably talk about it a little bit in the future. Um, I know we're going to be talking a little F1 later on in the show as well. But Kalen, on the flip side, we're going to go to losers now. Who is your loser this week? I actually found it kind of hard to uh, find a loser this week. So I went to an old faithful loser. I went to good old baseball. An old faithful loser. <laughs> old faithful loser for the whole COVID-19 situation. Uh, they they, are. they have been something. Yeah, they're, they're still not anywhere close to an agreement. They will never be anywhere close to an agreement. And I'm starting to lose faith in any kind of baseball ever happening you know there's been another prospected 114 game season with pay cuts still proposed i don't i don't know what to say about that whole situation other than it's it's a serious mess and it doesn't sound like it's going to get resolved anytime soon or you know by christmas so i don't know man i don't know we'll see what happens i'm actually going to agree with you my loser of this week was also baseball (laughs) as a whole (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> Although I saw things in the opposite direction, I saw that because of all these delays and the negotiations, that what was looking to be an 82-game season, which would have been exactly 50% of a normal baseball season, or, well, I'm sorry, 81 is exactly half, but close enough either way. Cry me a river. Yeah. What I saw was that it could potentially, due to these delays and due to uh, logistics, be maybe 50 games 50 to 60 games. It, it could really? be that this upcoming season there will be more basketball games than baseball games, which in the history of those sports is a little confusing. Ever, yeah, I don't think that's ever happened. So baseball is also my loser for this week. Not much I can say about it. They they just are. Yeah, they're going to be the loser eternally until they can come to some sort of random deal. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So the news coming out last Wednesday was that the NHL is planning to adopt the 2014 playoff if the season returns, and this is the first step we've seen from any of the big four sports teams in North America at returning. Now, we can't even—we're going to talk about football a little bit later in the segment. That one, 
is kind of like they're doing their thing anyways because they haven't really been affected yet in terms of their schedule. Maybe like some of their OTAs and their their training camps and stuff like that. But right, we're going to focus primarily on, on, I guess, the big three of what should currently be happening in the sports world if the COVID-19 crisis was not happening. So, Kalen, let's start with hockey. So hockey, like I said, first wants to make a move. So let's talk about their plan of attack and what we think is good about it, what could potentially be a shortcoming or a, a critique of it, and let's just kind of go down the line. So NHL, first one up, they uh, announced that if, again, big if, they were to return to play, they planned on adopting a 24-team playoff, which would basically be an Eastern Conference and a Western Conference. Within each conference, the top four teams as of the standings when everything shut down they are going to be the teams with a bye, and the eight teams beneath them in each conference would would do, you know, a, a play-in game type, a play-in series, if you will. So the other idea behind this is that each conference is going to be hosted in a hub city. So they're going to pick two cities and basically lock everyone down in those cities, get them all in a hotel room, you know, basically maintain a bubble around these hockey players, around these teams, around their personnel so that there is no chance that someone accidentally becomes infected and proceeds to infect the rest of the league. What do you like about this return-to-play idea, Kalen, for the NHL? Do you think this is a good idea, a bad idea? Do you think, you know, there's a lot of positives to be gained from this, or do you think there's mostly negatives at trying to rush back into this maybe too early? Well, I don't think it's rushing back into it too early. I I think they're, first of all, they haven't made an announced date of, um, you know, play or anything like that. Of so we're, the NHL is kind of laid back. The basketball is a little bit more ambitious, which we'll get to in a minute. But I'm actually a big fan of the way they restructured this with the play-in. I think that's the best way forward for a lot of the uh, organizations that are trying to come back and make a run at some kind of end-of-season play or championship or Stanley Cup and, you know, whatever else have you uh, that was left to play for the season. Yeah, I, I think hockey's doing it good. I think they're doing it well. They got the eight play-ins, and they have the you know the teams that were for sure in the playoffs. I mean, that's how it should be, right? You have those bubble teams, fight it out. I think that's how a lot of the teams moving forward, or a lot of the sports organizations moving forward should be doing it, and they should model it after hockey. And I think they're all doing the same thing, too. And I like this of, you know, like you said, stuffing everyone in a hotel room in some city that's central, you know, or two cities that are central to the conferences and going that way. Honestly, I would pick a, a city that was more in like the Midwest or something like that, a Midwestern team, because um, here on the East coast, things are still a little rough. I think they're not as bad on the West coast, but the, the middle of the country is actually the part that's doing the best at the moment. So I think they could get away with it there for sure. It's come out from the commissioner of the NHL that they do have kind of a short list of cities they're looking at, which include Chicago, Columbus, Dallas, Edmonton, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, Pittsburgh, Toronto, and Vancouver. Although it looks like they're probably going to err on the side of U.S. teams because of a Canadian mandate requiring a 14-day quarantine for every traveler going into the uh, country of Canada so that could obviously add an extra two-week process to this entire thing. So if they see a window and they want to take it, 
uh, going with two American locations are probably going to be best. Las Vegas has been pining a lot with both the NHL and the NBA to try to get some type of bubble situation where they're hosting, um, whether it be the entire playoffs or one conference of the playoffs or what have you. Um, right. You know, you talked about Midwestern cities. You know, you got Columbus. That could be a potential option. I know Chicago's kind of iffy just because Illinois is the one state in the U.S., at least at the time of us recording this, who are still completely 100% shut down, as opposed to other states which are either have reopened, have partially reopened, depending on different places in the individual state, et cetera, et cetera. So you're looking at potentially Columbus, you know, that that could be a bit more easier to go to. You know, as as I mentioned, Vegas is also eager for it. Um, Minneapolis is another um, city in like the Midwest area, although they're dealing with uh, other issues at the present moment. Um, so they might not be necessarily yeah. the best candidate right now. But Regardless, it looks like they have a, a short list of places kind of figured out, and I'm sure that they'll take those things into consideration. The other thing that I heard a lot of other sports people talk about when it comes to this two-hub city idea is that the Western Conference would play in an Eastern city, and the Eastern Conference would play in a Western city, as to... Because several different sports leagues were talking about having limited seating still available to fans, so if they did have this... It's not like Pittsburgh would get home field advantage, if you will, or home ice advantage, I guess, because they're playing the the Eastern Conference playoffs entirely in the city of Pittsburgh and, you know, vice versa with Las Vegas and right. the Golden Knights. That's another interesting wrinkle that people have been talking about a little bit. But for the most part, the NHL, they've they put an idea forward. The idea seems to be at least smart in conception. Who knows about how well the execution will go? But there's not a lot that you can really just say, oh, this is, like, ridiculous and terrible and full of holes. And as long as they are careful and executed properly, I don't really see too much of an issue with this. Again, they're just kind of waiting to see when when the whole um, situation uh, can come into play, for the most part. Yeah, so, it's just a hurry up and wait. Yeah, exactly. So a league that's trying to adopt a similar look to the NHL is the NBA. Again, because the NBA, much like the NHL, shut down... At the very tail end of the regular season, only a couple of games left before the playoffs, they are again looking at a similar situation. But for the NBA, it's uh, it, it's not exactly as straightforward as the NHL is having right now. They're targeting July 31st as a return date. But, Caitlin, you, you had some thoughts about the potential of the NBA returning uh, late in the summer. I don't know, man. I, I don't want to be thinking about basketball. My personal opinion on any of these winter sports coming back is just can the season move on and get ready for 2021 season, like the 2020, 2021 season. Don't screw around with this 2019, 2020 season, like just move on. That's my just opinion on all of these things coming back. But the zero in on the NBA, the NBA has a really weird proposal going on at the moment. And it's kind of still up in the air. Most of the, management on teams and coaches in fact would prefer a method like the nhl which would be a play-in method that isn't what they have proposed at the moment um the nba has like a it's not even like a play-in game for the bubble teams it's like a mini regular season planned and then they're like yeah we'll dive into the playoffs and those bubble teams will sort themselves out in the mini regular season and it'll be fine it's kind of like well, why don't you just pick the teams with the similar records or the same record, four or five of them, 
do some playing games, that'll sort itself out and then move into the playoffs right away. Like they're trying to make, they're going to make it way too long if they go that the other route without playing games. Again, I honestly don't like the NBA coming back. I think it's not going to get a lot of viewership. Uh, well, actually, that's a lie. If they come back and there's nothing else happening, it's going to get a ton of viewership, even for people who aren't even NBA fans. But I don't want to be thinking about that right now. I want to be thinking about baseball right now. You know what I mean, Dan? Mm-hmm. I'm on baseball. I'm on baseball already. I'm not on NBA. To me, the Milwaukee Bucks became NBA champions a month and a half ago or whatever. Like, <laughs> that's done. It's already said for. It's already spoken for. Actually, I shouldn't say that. It was about two weeks ago they would have become the champions. I lie. I don't know, man. I'm not about it. And honestly, a lot of people are saying that that's going to get the NBA on a December start. And I don't like that either because the argument is, oh, it'll get better ratings at the end of the season. Everyone already watches the end of the NBA season. That's when it gets good. The time that no one watches it is when football is still going on, which is the start in like November and then football ends in February and then people watch a lot of NBA. You get into the the NBA lull and then you got playoffs. If I'm going to fix the ratings, I'm going to fix it at that front end, you know? This December switch rotation thing that people are talking about too, it's hodgepodge to me. It's That's not fixing the, the ratings problem. Well, if anything, <laughs> if anything, it conflicts with baseball for playoff time, to be honest with you. Well, okay, stay, staying on topic, before you completely run off the rails with with uh, talking about a potential shift in the NBA season. Still, that, still relevant. Still relevant. No matter what, uh, the interesting thing that they have is, you know, you talk about, like, the whole bubble team situation. The NBA, uh, the, the one thing is that the NBA has really lopsided conferences when it comes to who's on the bubble and who isn't. So most teams at this point have played somewhere between like 63 and 65 games at the point where it stopped, which is most way through the NBA season, okay? 82 games is what they typically play in the NBA season. The rest of the regular season, there wasn't a whole lot left to play necessarily. Uh, no, I mean, so if it you, really isn't. So if you look at the teams that had a shot of potentially making it into the playoffs, uh, at least based on how things were when it stopped, the Eastern Conference only has one team realistically, and that's the Washington Wizards. And even then, they were five and a half games back from the eight seed Orlando Magic. But then in the Western Conference, you have a whole different story where you have the Trailblazers, Pelicans, and Kings all three and a half games back from the eighth seed Memphis Grizzlies. And you also have the Spurs kind of kicked in there at four games back. The other problem that you have with an NBA restart is just that either you're going to give teams in the Eastern Conference like the Bulls or the Knicks, who are almost 10 games out of the 8th seed, a shot. Or you're going to leave the Spurs, the Kings, you know, or the Pelicans, one of these teams that are, you know, a handful of games away from a playoff berth. You're going to leave them out of the equation. So that's also an issue that the NBA is kind of looking at as a whole. You know, discussing both the NHL and the NBA, you talked about how you thought that all winter sports should just probably call it. And I'm I'm not... Uh, I'm not too far against that, if I'm being honest. I think that, yeah, like, at least, well, at least the NHL has come out and said, listen, here's the plan. It's not every detail, but those details aren't set until we can kind of get something in order. Right now, the best thing that the NBA has kind of come out with is saying, hey, July 31st, we're going to try to come back, and we're going to try to put everyone up in hotels and partner with Disneyland, whichever one's in Florida, Disneyland, Disney World, whichever one it is, partner with Disney, and have everything happen in Orlando, which, I don't know, I think the NHL plan is just better because 
sure, the NBA has a date and they have a proposed location, but the NHL already addressed the issue of how we're dealing with bubble teams, how we're dealing with teams that had the potential of making the playoffs if we played out the rest of the regular season. The lack of direction by the NBA on this very important question, potentially the million-dollar question, because that affects a lot of the setup of this entire situation, I think that is why I have a lot more faith in what the NHL is doing and why I think the NBA, if they don't answer questions like that soon, they might as well just say, hey, we're going to call it, we're going to put some asterisks in the books, and we're going to move on to another season where, again, we can see the 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 greatness of Giannis Antetokounmpo dominate the NBA. And to be honest, like to deal with the West, you could probably just create a policy that is, hey, if your team is five games back, you get a play-in game, right? And then take whatever teams are left, give them play-in games, they win it, they get in. I mean, that's to me, that's a simple solution. Yeah, I mean... That's I, an easy solution. I mean, sure, you end up with a couple extra teams in the playoffs maybe, but... So what? You get an extra two five-game series out of it. Big deal. It, it might complicate things a little bit more down the line. Again, it's a question that the NBA has to address if they want to restart their season. Speaking of questions to be addressed, massive questions are all over the place regarding if Major League Baseball is ever going to be able to come back. Well, yeah. I, or start, I should say. Yeah, get off the ground. So tons of questions, and a lot of those questions are surrounding the economics of the entire system. You have basically the main arguments between the players' union and the league because the league is trying to enforce upon the players' union very severe pay cuts after they already negotiated prorated salaries earlier during this crisis to the point where you see people who are part of the players' union committee going out in public on Twitter and talking about it. Stars like Matt Scherzer, who basically said that uh, there, there's no reason to talk to the MLB anymore. There's there's no reason to talk to them. We should just stop. We should just stop. So, okay. The yeah, the big question there is how is the pay situation going to work? It was a little bit easier for the NHL and NBA because they already committed to X amount of the season, and you know you can. It's easier to say, listen, we'll, like you're paid for the part of the season you did, and then we'll like like percentage the rest because. The NBA, the NHL, their contracts basically were fulfilled when it comes to, like, TV deals and all that stuff. Yep. So that money is there. Baseball is missing all of their money off the bat. It is it is not there. So that's why this is such a hard discussion. I would like to have faith that I think that baseball could come back in some capacity. Announced earlier this week, um, and even late last week, they already announced that several teams have cut a huge swath of players in the hundreds from their minor league systems because yep. they're like, listen, we're just like minor league players already got paid garbage. Let's they be don't real. Get paid anything. They, they get they're paid, paid squat. They'll, they'll make like $12,000 for a season, which is really intense. arguably not worth it. Yeah. Ar- ar- <laughs> arguably not worth it. The only thing making it worth it is, Hey kid, if you work your butt off one day, you can make it to, you know, the league where the minimum salary for a, a MLB player is, multiple times over what the the average salary for a minor leaguer is you know yeah you know there's there's a lot of cuts going down there i think the athletics were the first team to to start cutting weight and that just dominoed across the entire minor league baseball system so obviously that's a big issue 
it's difficult because you got to have an agreement in place. And if there's not going to be an agreement, I think that's the biggest problem that they're having. They seem to be okay with putting a plan together, restarting baseball in July, and working in a situation where you're not having fans in the stadium and stuff like that, and you have a shorter 82-game season. And, you know, they have some of that stuff in place. Monetarily is what's holding them back from being able to restart. And honestly, to me, that's the dumbest thing to have holding you back from a restart. But I get that it's like also extremely important and it's what makes, you know, the leagues run. So unfortunately, that's like, you know, everything that makes the league work. That's how, you know, you get concessions, people to work. You get, you know, your players obviously paid and your field maintenance done. Like, I I get it. I understand you need to have a minimum amount of capital in order to run a baseball team run an NBA team. But to me, the MLB is a little bit too stuck on the money bit. You don't know how much of a season you're going to get to play. So why don't you just make an attempt to start playing a season in general and see how much of it you can play? You know what I mean? And then pay your players accordingly to how much you actually play. Like I get there won't be spectators. Cool. You got to cut salary a little bit there because you're not going to get spectators. Get something going. You know what I mean? You can't figure it out before you figure out how much you're going to play. Like if, if you're going to play 82 games, all right, start with 82 games left on the docket. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. Start paying people at that point. And honestly, if you're going to do an 82 game season, you probably could get spectators in there at that point. If you finish for the World Series at the same time, 82 games prior to that, you probably are going to be able to get spectators in there at that point. Well, let's be honest. Well, potentially again, there have been plans by people in the NBA specifically about getting fans back in the stadium and having, you know, modified seating for all of that. We saw some athletic directors out of uh, some major college programs like Ohio State talk about how many seats that they could properly fill and, you know, how they handle grouping and, and stuff like that and, and people who come to games together and that whole can of worms there. But they just need to come to an agreement about money. And, you know, as they, you said earlier, it's a situation where, yeah, like money isn't everything, but at the same time, they do need to be able to be profitable. These are businesses as much as they are entertainment. They are. But uh, my whole point is just start, do something, and then figure out the money thing after, you know? Oh, that's that's know, that's a good way to have one of the sides feeling really, really bad after the, you know, negotiations, after everything else. But... I- it is what it is. Like, Yeah. And finally, the last sport for us to talk about in the Big Four would be the NFL. I don't really have much to say about this. They're trying to keep things, you know, going as per schedule. They don't really start up anyways until August with some of their very first uh, preseason games. And obviously, we have no idea how long this entire pandemic is going to be running its course. But as long as it is on a very steady, very swift decline by that time... I don't imagine the NFL having any issues outside of maybe the players are a little rusty because they didn't have as much training camp time, as much OTA time. That's about all I got on the NFL, to be honest, when it comes to reopening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the NFL should be okay, but I honestly think they need to worry more about a COVID-19 comeback in the fall around like flu season than they do a pandemic continuing kind of thing. That's more of what I think they need to worry about, because by that time, we might still not have a vaccine for everybody. We still might not have proper care 
it's could be bad. And a lot of experts have said that, you know, around flu season this coming year, it could come back. So I think that's more of if I'm Roger Goodell, I'm worrying more about that than I am starting the season. I'm worried about it interrupting my season at like week six or something stupid. But at least for for what they have control of, they're trying to keep everything as close to uh, as close to normal as possible. I think they're going to be fine. I think they will. But you never know. Dan, it is it is a sad day in the sports universe uh, as far as motorsports are concerned today. Came across my Facebook feed today that Williams, uh, better known as Rocket Williams Racing now, uh, will most likely be losing their main sponsor, Rocket, for ever. <laughs> that's one way to put it, yeah. Well, I mean, here's here's the thing, like, that's that's kind of like what happened to Haas last season when Rich Energy decided to just up and leave them uh, for various random reasons, and they were controversial. I'm not going to dive down that rabbit hole, but that's the main funding for the team. I mean, I don't know if you've looked at a Williams racing car lately, Dan, but it says Rocket in like seven different places. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, and I mean, they don't have much other sponsorship for small sponsorship to begin with. Rocket also technically owned the team, and they're just going to up and leave. I mean, that's the biggest financial backing. That's like race. That's literally like racing point. Just losing, you know, uh, Lance Stroll's dad, just like, yep, nope, no money. So the biggest question then to kind of get everyone back on the same page is you said, this is what really similar to what happened when rich energy dropped out of Haas dropped out on Haas, I should say last season. So what makes this, a much more scarier situation. Obviously, Haas is still a team. Haas is still whatever you want to call them. You know, a, a well, team might be a stretch, but uh, like, but they're still in the sport of F one. Why is this a different situation? And like, what what are we concerned about? So we're concerned about. Well, so here's the thing: the Haas situation is way different because Haas himself, the man who owns the team, also owns like multiple NASCAR teams and a bunch of other teams in different motorsports. I think he owns an IndyCar team too. So like, and they're all successful. So Haas can suck and they still make money because he makes money on his really good teams here in the States. Williams is a different ball game. Williams is a small, for those of you who don't know, is a small Formula One team that started in 1977 that honestly is one of my favorite historic teams of all time. Uh, they've had drivers like Ayrton Senna, who actually died at Imola driving for them. And that famous, you know, accident that devastates the whole entire racing world still to this day. We've had Nigel Mansell play Regassoni. I, I can, the names go on and on. Damon Hill. Uh, it, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Valtteri Bottas drove for them before he drove for Mercedes. Because essentially Williams now is a Mercedes, Mercedes feeder team. The team's won multiple constructors championships. The team has a huge legacy. But why is this to the point? Why is this a bigger problem for Williams? Williams is an independent team and they only have uh, Williams F1. They don't have an IndyCar team. They don't have a NASCAR team. They don't have any other team. They're just a small team in Great Britain started by Frank Williams. And that's it. That's literally it. It's like they started in a abandoned carpet warehouse. And we're building F1 cars in there, engineering F1 cars in there with Colin Chapman to compete. 
like this team isn't winning right now either. And the budget got postponed to next year for Formula One. So this team literally, if they lose Rocket, which it looks like they're going to, nothing confirmed yet, they're going to have zero financial backing. Like they're done. So the concern is the greater effect of them losing this this massive sponsorship, their primary sponsor, is the potential folding of a highly prestigious and highly yeah. renowned team in the history of F1. If they fold, you're we're losing one of the most historic teams in, in Formula One history, honestly. Like, this is, for me personally, this is a huge deal because you don't watch Formula One just because, you know... I mean, obviously you watch it because it's good racing, but you don't like there's a history behind the teams, right? I watch it for the history. Like Ferrari's been the longest running team for I don't even know how long Ferrari's been in it anymore. I can't remember. But it's since like the origin days of like Jim Clark almost with Enzo when he was still alive and he started Ferrari. Williams isn't obviously that old, but I mean, they haven't missed a season since their inception in 77, starting in the 78 season. That's how long they've been going. And like I said, they've had winning seasons and championship, both driver's championship and constructor's championship seasons with guys like Nigel Mansell, Ayrton Senna, Alan Prost, Nelson Piquet. The list goes on and on and on of all the people that have driven for them. Pretty much any legendary F1 driver drove for Williams at some point in their career, probably somewhere in the 80s or in the the 90s when they were in their prime and they were literally one of the one of the best teams, if not the best team in Formula One. So to give a comparison for people who may not be as as heavily into F1 as you are, Kalen, for, for some of our more casual F1 listenership, or even some people who listen and aren't in the loop on F1 at all, to give a crack at a fair comparison of what this might represent for the sport, this would be as if there was a NFL team, for example, okay? The closest right. real-life example of something that has happened would be, and, and this is nowhere close to what we were talking about, but the first thing I think of is when an NFL team relocates, or an NBA team relocates, or any big four sports team relocates to a new city. You look at the outlash at the St. Louis Rams moving. You see the massive outlash at Chargers fans when they move to L.A. from San Diego. You know, there's still people pining for the return of Seattle basketball when that team got moved to Oklahoma City and became the Thunder. Right. That is already what many fans consider catastrophic to a team when they're ripped away from their fans. But this is worse. This is the equivalent of, if we're staying in the realm of the NFL, a team that happened to have, you know, we're going to make up a team here, okay? Let's say there's a team that saw the Brady era, the Brady dynasty, and before that had the Troy Aikman dynasty, and before that in the 80s had the Warren Moon like era of him, play- of like his greatness and all that, and before yeah. that had Terry Bradshaw as their quarterback, okay? An unprecedented like four just really solid elite quarterbacks throughout four decades of football, just back to back to back to back like that, okay? And I know that there's some overlaps and gaps in those those players' times, but the point being, imagine there was a team that had those players on it. Not to mention other all-stars, you know, you can throw Emmett Smith on a team, you can throw Lynn Swan on a team, you can throw Gronkowski on a team, all on the yeah. same team, okay? And among this time, they won multiple Super Bowls. 
They had multiple MVPs. And this team didn't just relocate, but straight up vanished off the face of the earth. Yeah, they just went bankrupt. The outcry would be ridiculous. And that is the perspective that I'm trying to give to some of our non-F1 listenership of just how ridiculous of an idea that a team with such prestige, such history, heralded in such a high way, is rumored to potentially lose the only thing keeping them in F1. So, like, imagine that team losing all their pieces and going into a rebuilding stage, but their general manager just screwed it up. And then two or three years into their rebuilding stage, they just run out of money. And they're like, yeah, we're done. See ya. Peace out. They're just like, yep, we're not fighting it. We're done. Whatever. That's what's literally happening to Williams. Dan, that was that was honestly like the best comparison you could do as far as like non-motorsport related. Well, well um, thank you. I was, you know, I, I knew that there's some people that, you know, would be like, oh, Williams, that's just another racing team. But it's more to it. That's like saying that, oh, Bill Belichick, he's just another NFL coach. Yeah, no, it is. Williams in their second season of competition finished second in the Constructors Championship, led by Colin Chapman, you know, as the lead engineer on the on the squad. Their third year, they won it. Their fourth year, they won it. To give you perspective, that's 1980, 1981. 1982, they didn't win it. They lost a good driver. They didn't replace him with a great driver. They, they were all right. They were mediocre. They went 82, 83, 84, mediocre. Another great era starts of Williams in 85. Third place in the Constructors' Championship. First place in the Constructors' Championship. First place in the Constructors' Championship, led by Nigel Mansell, who also conveniently won the championship. Driver's the, the, championship. Yeah, the individual driver's championship, yep. Yeah, and then that's in 88, excuse me, that's 87. 89, second in the Constructors' Championship again. Like, this team, these guys, and the people behind Frank Williams that were making this happen, this is unprecedented. It's almost as unprecedented as what Mercedes is doing right now in Formula One, which is just absolute dominance with uh, Lewis Hamilton, just destroying any and all competition yeah which is causing these these budget cap rules to to come into play so teams like williams that don't have a lot of financial backing can potentially be more competitive in the first place yeah and i mean that's why teams like ferrari and mercedes can live in formula one for the foreseeable eternity i mean mercedes is new ish to the game they're they are not an old player by any means they were involved way way back in the day but they took a hiatus for decades. And then, you know, in the, the near recent past, they were like, yeah, let's make an F1 team again. Yeah, let's get Michael Schumacher on here at the tail end of his career. Why not? And the guy went out and won a bunch of races in what was honestly a bad Mercedes car at the time. And then they go on to win championships with Nico Rosberg and just Lewis Hamilton joins after McLaren and segue into today and they're just destroying the field. What we're in right now with Mercedes is the equivalent of Williams dominance. You see a Williams in first, a Williams in second, a Williams in first, a Williams in fifth, a Williams in first, a Williams in third. Like that's what you get. And you get two superstar drivers out of it too. Like Nigel Mansell and Alan Prost. Like I I don't know what to say and how to describe that necessarily to our listeners other than That's like having Tom Brady and Russell Wilson on the same team and playing both guys at like equally on a football field, basically. Yeah, not not to mention that they also had the greatest rivalry amongst their two drivers in the history of F1, at least in my opinion, between Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost. 
who oh, both of course. Yeah, who they, raced together oh on the same team, that team being Williams. Yeah. At and least as far as my memory serves me. So and that that would be to put it in in basketball terms, that would be Larry Bird and Magic Johnson being on the same team. It would be. Yeah. And them not liking each other at all and getting in a fist fight every game. <laughs> which which would be entertaining if we saw that a bit more in, in uh, classic NBA uh, history. But alas, that was not to be unlike the history of F1 where that did quite happen. That literally happened. <laughs> yeah, we can we can reminisce about the greatness of William's legacy for a while. But let's focus on the present now. So we're, we're talking about how they could potentially fold because they could lose their sponsorship in Rocket. What are some alternatives that could get them out of the situation? There's no way that the FIA or F1 steps in and is like, well, we understand of being like independent to the teams and all that, but you guys matter so much to the history of our sport. We don't want you guys just to disappear for nothing. Well, the technically, Dan, if a team is not a manufacturer, they're an independent team. So like Haas is an independent team. Racing Point is an independent team. Like they're all part of the FIA. Everything is under the FIA. That does provide the option of... FIA stepping in and possibly bailing them out. Uh, that's happened in the past with Formula One, but it really has only happened in times where they wouldn't have enough teams to really create quality racing. For instance, there were times in the early 90s where like teams didn't even get into a Formula One race. And now you have the same team, same eight teams like every single time. At, at least I can't actually, I think it's eight teams in Formula One right now. I'm not quite sure, Ten. actually. Ten. Ten? Ten. Okay, so you have the same 20 drivers out there every time. There was a time in Formula One where people were fighting to just get, let me think, how many cars they had. I think they were running 24. There were people trying to get into that 24 spot, just get one car in there. In those eras, the FIA wasn't helping at all. In an era like this, honestly, I really want to see the FIA step in and help out Williams, and I think they did with the budget change and the budget trim, the the max cap, basically, that was like a big F you to the Mercedes and Ferrari of F1. And honestly, and Red Bull too, that doesn't come into effect until next season. And it's hard for me to even see them making it through this. Our F1 season is going to be short. They're going to finish in last every single race. They're that just because that's what they're going to do. And they're not going to get any money out of it. If anything, they're going to lose money. George Russell might put it into the wall by accident at some point. And then that's, you know, that's the end of Williams racing because they're like, oh, well, we can't fix the car. So the you're you're very pessimistic about any potential recovery if they do, in fact, lose the sponsorship. Yeah, I really am. Um, I, I don't know what big corporate sponsor would want to pick up and buy the team, essentially. I, I really don't. I don't. I Again, I, I could be surprised by like Rolex in like a month and a half when this all like unfolds or something stupid like that. Someone might save them if they care. Someone might save them, but I don't see that happening to be honest with you just because the team is not good. Like, I mean, if they were, if they weren't even like the barn burner, if they were just a little bit worse than Haas, which would put them at like as good as racing point, someone would pick up the team for sure, but they're not. They're just not. And this week's obscure sport, Kalen, is a national sport of a foreign country. The sport, Why am I not surprised? Because a lot of them are this way. The sport is called Buzkashi. 
Buzkashi. Yes. How do I spell that? Because well, you can't pronounce things right. So <laughs> I'm actually pronouncing it correctly. Okay, I've I've looked it up ahead of this to make sure I was pronouncing it correctly. But all right, if you were to take a guess, let's say where in the world Buzkashi was the national sport of? Where would you guess? Somewhere in the Pacific, probably. It just sounds like a. Uh, I don't. I don't want to say like a Japanese. It sounds like an Oriental word. Well, no, you're you're wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's fine. I mean, you know, it happens. Buzkashi, translated into English, would be described as goat grabbing, and is the national sport of Afghanistan. <laughs> that's amazing. So the basis of this sport is that it is a Afghan version of polo. So when you think of polo, you think a bunch of, you know, affluent white people smacking a ball around on horseback. Right. Well, this is a bit more of a gritty and rough version of that. So the basic principle is that you have two teams and you have a designated area for each team. And the goal is that they put a goat's carcass in the middle of the playing field. And these teams then proceed to chase after, and their goal is to eventually get the goat and get it back into their goal. The goal is typically... So the goal... The, so the point of this is to chase after a headless goat, pick it up, and take it back to your goal? Yes. Essentially, consider it like capture the flag, except instead of two A flags yeah instead of two flags it's, there's one flag literally no it is capture the flag with one flag and the flag is a headless goat yes it is a goat pick up and throw on a horse it is a goat carcass that you have to bring back and throw into your goal your goal is like a circular kind of like not a not a hole because it's not in the ground but it's kind of built up so it's like a it looks like a really big fire pit i would say that Man, what the hell is this game? What have you what have you thrown in front of me today? I've I've given you the what national sport it? of Afghanistan. The it's national no sport. We war with these people. So, funny what enough, funny enough this game actually took a hiatus because this game was a very traditional game in Afghanistan and it took a hiatus during the Taliban's insurgency in the country until 2001 in which it resurfaced as a national pastime. Now, you may be seeing multiple different uh, examples of the game, Kalen, as you're doing your classic Google search. So the thing with Buzkashi is you ever have like a like a football game, like a pickup football game that you play at a family reunion? Yeah. And you know how like you don't play by like the full rules of football. You have like your own little house rule kind of idea. I mean, I never played like that, but I know people that do, so... That that do kind of have their own, like, variety of ways to play different games? Yeah, like, horse collar tackles and football are, are legal at the house, uh, house game, you know, other stupid stuff like that. Yeah, well, Buzkashi is a good example of there are rules, but there aren't rules. So, you may be seeing, especially if you Google this, there would be a lot of footage of a very you know, strict, like, solid arena, you know, the goals are very well defined, it's a 5v5 sport, and that is how it is played competitively in the Afghan capital of Kabul. In the countryside, in some of the more rural areas of the population, they play Buzkashi 
in a much more, as some would say, a traditional style back when there weren't as many rules, where instead of having a 5v5, there would be dozens, potentially hundreds of people all on horseback, all in the same arena, and their only goal is to be the one scored, because traditionally, this sport used to be played, like, for the king. So it would be for the king's entertainment, and in the traditional form, the games would last four days. They would play non-stop for two or three days, and the only goal right. would be, if you were the one who scored, you were the one who were showered in riches and gold and women and, you know, all the luxuries all right. of, you know, like, Middle Ages time. That is kind of the the more traditional way and the more chaotic way because it is literally a, I mean, as you can imagine, it's a, a scrum of 40 people all on horseback, all fighting over the same goat carcass. Or, in recent years, calf's carcass because it holds better together when uh, people are fighting <laughs> over it. <laughs> yes. It holds together better while you're trying to rip its limbs apart. Yes. Shocker. They they found out I'm stunned. They found out that the best way to to keep the uh I guess, let's say the 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 game piece together would be to use a cat. it from its intestines just falling out onto yeah. my horseback randomly. Oh no. Well, they would take a calf and then they would soak it in water overnight because that helps toughen the hide. So. Right. Right. Cuz leather all in all, oh, all in all, this is a very brutal sport, especially if you're playing in the traditional way. If you're playing in the non-traditional way, I know there's a good breakdown by John Boy Media on YouTube where he just kind of looks at some highlights and talks about it. And these guys, when they're trying to throw the goat into the, the circular hole, they often throw themselves off the horses to try to get the best chance of doing it without anyone oh, yeah, else interfering. It's a goat. You can't just like wind back and throw a goat like you. It there's weight to it. Like it's not like a small goat either. Like typically, from what I'm seeing, it's like a full blown adult male goat that you're like just holding onto with your legs or have strapped across your lap or something crazy. Yeah, they said that these goats and calves that they use could be up to ninety nine pounds. Yeah, that, like now you, you also got to consider that they start on the ground. You have to lean down from your horse and pull it up. Yeah, and it's not like it's standing up because it's dead. Like here was here my initial thought when you said, "Oh, it's people on a horse chasing a goat." Was the goat was alive, and it was like, "All right, well, you got to grab it by the horn or something stupid, and just kind of like I don't know, pick him up or or what I hold on to him. Hope he doesn't kick you in the face." But like, no, you, you forgot the detail of the thing. He's dead. PETA better not get a handle on this episode because, like, they're Ex going to come after us. Excuse me. <laughs> I did say goat carcass. I don't know any example of someone using the word carcass to describe a living thing. I thought you just said goat. Uh, not goat. What the heck's a goat? <laughs> goat. I, I could have swore you just said goat. I didn't hear the ca the carcass part. Yeah. No. A, a, Initially, I guess. Yes. With this game, the objective's pretty clear. You You get the goat. You put the goat in the hole. In the goal, you know? The hole, and you hope the goal, someone doesn't the whatever. Your, yeah, whatever your gold yeah. hole thing, whatever. You better hope nobody beats you up in the process. Is pretty much the other part of the game is like, yeah, I hope this other guy doesn't run into you with his horse and fall and knock you off and break your arm or your face or something stupid. Well, the thing is that that kind of play is perfectly legal, which is why the game is considered so uh, such a brutal one because it is very common 
for people to be knocked off their horse, to be run into by other people's horses, to fall, break arms, break ribs, you know, break different bones in their body, but they're still expected to continue playing. They're That's expected to continue wild. until the game is over. There is This game is ridiculous. Yeah, there, there is no referee who's going to run out there and blow a whistle and have, like, a trainer come out and check on you because you just got body slammed by a full-grown horse. That it, That's not the case. And this is why we couldn't win a war against these people. Because <laughs> you'd shoot them and they'd get up and keep moving. Regardless, Kalen, what are your thoughts on the practicality of Buskashi uh, here in the United States? Do you think it's something that's going to work? Do you think that it would have to be modified so that it wasn't an actual carcass that I we're using? Gonna co- I just said Pete is going to come after us before this episode. Because we're promoting a sport that uses a a goat carcass? Yeah. No, this isn't viable in the U.S. No way. No way. No how. This is viable where it is in Afghanistan, where, like, your rural population lives in a hut still and farms on sand. Like, Okay, well, if it did have a place in the United States, if it did have a venue that it could work, I could potentially see it working in some type of rodeo setup. Really? What gave that away? I mean, you already have the arena in place, you already have the horses in place, the other events in a rodeo, you know, you're busy hog tying things, and you're busy, you know, lassoing things. This is the same thing, except without the lasso, and it just happens to be dead already. Yo, I can't wait to take my kids in, like, 2030 to a rodeo, and then I hear over the loudspeaker, ladies and gentlemen, the next event is the Kashi event. And then everyone looks around like, what the heck is this thing that's about to happen? And then I just get up and walk away with my kids as they throw the dead goat carcass off the like awning where the announcer speaker is just to land in the middle of the arena and the horses come out of the rodeo doors like full bore to go get it. Like that's no, now, no, if we were, that's not going to happen. If we replaced the goat carcass with some type of non-dead object of similar weight and similar size, something that was equally as hard to grab and hold on to, do you think that it could be a sport that would work in any setting here in the U.S.? I mean, yeah, like, I guess if you didn't, you know, have the dead goat part of it, like, if it was a satchel or something you're that really like 100 pounds you're but really like, held up on this dead goat part you're not you're not paying attention at all to the part where people are getting like body slammed and knocked off their horses and playing with like bruised ribs you're more concerned about the dead carcass happens in polo too like <laughs> i don't know what to say <laughs> like that that's that's that naturally comes with riding on horseback with like i don't know 10 to 20 other people <laughs> that's that's a given you're going to fall and you're going to break some stuff, but you typically aren't falling and breaking stuff while you're chasing a dead goat around. So I will take it that's that that's unique. I, I will that take is new. <laughs> I will take it that this is not a game you're interested in playing. No, take the dead goat away. Just, no, I, leave it in Afghanistan. Just leave it there. It doesn't have to go anywhere else. It can stay there. So as we come to the end of another pregame podcast here, on well, the pregame podcast. I mean, we are no, our here own on platform. Ellen. Here on <laughs> here on the Ellen show. Uh, yeah, now, exactly. Kalen, it's time to make predictions about what's happening in the upcoming week in sports. Do you have any predictions for this week? My prediction is actually going to be pretty bold, and it is going to be that 
basketball will have a plan in motion by the next time we are talking. Okay. All right. That's pretty bold saying that basketball is pretty far away from having any plan in motion at this point. They actually just uh, released, as we are recording this today, they actually just released something that was a, a really good framework. And both the Emma, the NBA Players Association and the NBA themselves were pretty excited about it. So uh, we'll see what happens when they meet on Thursday to discuss. So either today or tomorrow, depending on when this podcast gets released, because Dan moved. Yeah, so listen, man, do you want to pick up the editing duties for a week? I, I will send you the files if you want them, only if you want them. If I, if I had the program. <laughs> well, that's true. I need to, send, need to hook you up a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but... All right, then. Solid prediction. I don't know how uh, how close, even even hearing that, the NBA has given me a lot of concern about them moving forward. But on the flip side, you know who's not given me concern about moving forward? Who? The National Hockey League. Oh, so is this a segue into your prediction now? This is a segue into my prediction. See what I did there? So I see what you did there. My prediction is that by the time we're talking next, this following week, the National Hockey League will announce its two hub cities, which it plans to play its 24 game or excuse me, 24 team rather playoffs at. So the two cities they're going to pick, um, you know, we talked about the list earlier. You know, there was stuff like Edmonton. There was stuff like Las Vegas. There was Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Minnesota was in there. Probably not going to be Minnesota, but <laughs> I, yeah. I think that they come to a decision sometime in the coming week and when we're talking next we are going to be at least aware of what cities they picked and with that good chance that if they're announcing the cities they have some dates in mind too so that is my prediction for the week and i believe that's going to do it for us kaylin as we uh, get out of here on this midweek podcast that'll do it so don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter to see all the action that's going on during the rest of the week. All you have to do is uh, hit us up on there at pregame underscore pod. Also, don't forget to hit us with your questions, comments, discussion, anything you want us to talk about on the podcast. Just send us an email, mailbag at gmail.com. That's going to wrap up this week. My name is Dan Zalewski. My name is Kalen Wolfskill. And we will see you guys next week oh yeah dan by the way yeah the uh, name of the circuit at uh austria oh you mean the question i asked all the way back in winners and losers yeah 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 it's uh the answer is zeltweg airfield circuit ah Pre-game podcast is produced by Dan Zaleski and Kalen Wolfskill with special guest Hunter Conley. Theme music by High On You, a Ruby Media production. <laughs>